Hey, Murder With My Husband listeners, we're here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually actually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas. Garrett and I sometimes get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found a custom pickleball set for my pickleballer who, as you know, is obsessed with it. Now, it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleball, gift mode has you covered need to find the perfect gift don't panic try gift mode on etsy now shout out to claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples you guys allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up i can't do anything i can't even enjoy dinner because i can't taste my food i can't work out because i feel so tired and i'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because i sound so stuffy but luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies we can live claritin clear with claritin d designed for serious allergy sufferers claritin d has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Murder With My Husband plus a bonus. Garrett is not here, but I am with my really, really good friend, Kaylin. She's from Heart Starts Pounding, and I'm really excited for you guys to get to know her today. So welcome. Hello. We're doing a fun collab Tell us something, tell us something about your show, something, anything. Yeah, I was actually thinking today's kind of like murder with my work wife a yes. little bit instead of murder with my husband. Yes. Um, yeah, so I host Heart Starts Pounding, Horrors, Hauntings, and Mysteries, and it's exactly that. It's a podcast for the darkly curious where we go through different horrors, hauntings, and mysteries. Sometimes it's an old case. Sometimes it's a disappearance. Sometimes it's something supernatural. It's Each episode is just a deep dive into whatever darkly curious thing I'm fixating on that week. And it's just me doing the show too. So it's really storytelling focused. And yeah, we have a good time. If you are ever like what is 10 things that would just make me eerily uncomfortable? Yeah. Her show is for you. Like the most just curious, dark, mysterious show. Yeah. We'll do like urban legends that were really true. Sometimes yeah. we'll do Appalachian folklore. Sometimes we'll look at what the underground body trade at Harvard is doing. Yes. You know, yeah. it's, it's a wide range of topics, but it is definitely for people who are a little morbidly curious. Yeah, and again, that's Heart Starts Pounding. Yeah. Um, go check it out. But we're going to give you a little taste of it actually on today's episode. So Kaylin is going to start and then I'm going to follow it up with a typical murder with my husband case. So stick around and listen. Well, hello, Peyton. Hi. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. Big fan of you guys. But also, I, I'm really excited to be here because I have a disappearance today that I want to talk about that I truly have not been able to stop thinking about yeah. since I started looking into it. And I just want to be able to tell someone we were kind of talking about how like I do my podcast in my closet. So uh -huh. I don't ever get feedback on what's happening. Right. But I'm really excited for you to hear this so that we can actually, I just want someone to talk to about it Yeah, because I've been really thinking about this one. Well, I'm not going to lie. I read through um, yeah. a little bit about the case and I am I'm so confused. Right. And I just don't know how it's even possible. So Absolutely. I'm excited for everyone to hear. I'm really curious what everyone's going to think about this one. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to set the stage. Okay. The evening of July 4th, 1928 was beautiful. 
A pilot named Captain Drew looked up at the sky and he noticed that there wasn't a single cloud. He could not have asked for better weather to fly a small private plane from London to Brussels for his most esteemed client. So that evening, he was to take the high profile client as well as his posse a short distance over the English Channel. And the attendants of the flight included the plane's mechanic, two typists, the client's secretary, okay. and the client's valet. And of course, there was also the man of the hour. Mm -hmm. The reason that they were all there, Alfred Lowenstein. Yes. So you might not recognize this name now. I didn't. Yeah, he's not a household name. But if you were alive at the time, you absolutely would have known who he was. He was 51 at the time. And when he boarded that flight the evening of July 4th, he was the third richest man in the world. Which is like actually insane. Wild. Yes. Wild. Wild. And for reference, I put this down too. When I was writing this script, I looked up who the third richest person was. And it's Jeff Bezos. Right. So obviously it's someone that we all would know, that no. the whole world mm -hmm. would know about. Really high profile client. It just goes to show you, like, if we all know who Jeff Bezos was, everyone knew who Alfred was yeah. at the time. It really puts it into context. So similar to Jeff Bezos and kind of like the upper echelon of all of today's society, Alfred really liked to spend his money. Mm -hmm. So for one, this wasn't his only private plane. He had 21 other planes that he kept in a stable by his horses. One time he even sent one of his planes all the way to Russia to pick up caviar for a party he was throwing. Yeah. Really loved to spend his money. Yeah. He also owned three homes, eight villas, and it's calculated that his weekly, weekly household budget was $100,000, which is $1.7 million today. And what year is this again? 1928. Like $100,000 in 1928. $1.7 million today. So it makes sense. Yeah, going and getting caviar is yes. like a drop in the bucket for him. And so, yeah, that all goes to say that he was capital R rich. Right. And how did he make his money? So he made most of his money actually by supplying power facilities to developing countries, which was an industry that was really booming after World War I. I'm sure. And on top of being this prolific businessman, he also was using his fortune to invest in other companies. So yeah. he kind of had this exponential growth in his wealth. But that night, the night of July 4th, 1928, he wasn't going somewhere for business. He wasn't jet setting on vacation or heading to Russia for more caviar. Mm -hmm. He was going home to Brussels to see his wife where he was from. Yeah. He was just going home. So I don't know if you've ever made the flight from London to Brussels. No. But it's it's really short. Yeah. So today it would take about an hour for that flight. But back then in 1928, planes went a little bit slower. It still wasn't going to take all that long for them to make this flight. Right. So it took off at about 6 p.m. and he was going to get home later that evening. And for the first half of the flight, Alfred sat in his seat just taking notes and reading, which is what he would normally do on these flights. Once they were up over the English Channel, however, he put down his notebook and he walked to the back of the small jet where the restroom was located. Without saying anything to anyone. No. Correct. Just got up and walked back. Got up and walked to the back. Right. But someone noticed him do this. So Fred Baxter was his valet and he watched as Alfred got up and walked through the back door to the back of the plane. And this, it wasn't like a plane today. You know, on planes today, you can see all the way back yes. and you can see the flight attendants. You can see the bathrooms. Right. This plane had a door in between okay. the cabin and the back. So you would open the door and then in the back, you would see the bathroom. Right. So... Baxter watched the door close behind Alfred and Baxter just went back to reading his book. Right. There's my rich client. Now I'm going to exactly. just go back to reading my book. Everything's great. Still rich. Still rich. Book. He poops gold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so a few minutes pass and Baxter looks back towards the door and he realizes that Alfred hasn't come back. Yeah. He didn't really think much of it this first time, but a few more minutes pass and Alfred still didn't come back. And then a few more minutes. Yeah. And Alfred didn't come back. And Baxter starts getting this weird feeling. And something in him tells him he should go back and just check on Alfred. Which, side note, just putting myself in that position of, like, how panicked do you have to be to go see how your boss is doing in the bathroom? Right. Like, that's... That's... Yes. He must have had a really bad feeling because right. that takes a lot. So he walks through the door to the back and he knocks on the bathroom door and he asks, is everything okay? But he doesn't hear anything back. Okay. 
So he knocks again, this time louder, but there's still nothing. And he starts panicking in this moment. He assumes that Alfred has had some sort of medical emergency. So he forces the bathroom door open and he finds nothing. Alfred is not in the bathroom. Alfred is not on the plane at all. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, we're on a plane here. Right. Where could he have disappeared to? Where could he have disappeared to? Somehow in the last 10 minutes, Alfred had completely vanished. Yeah. The only proof that he had been back there at all was his necktie, which was laying on the floor. Right. So what happened next? Like, what does Baxter do from here? He runs to the front of the plane to try and get the pilot's attention. And again, this model of plane is different from a plane today. You can't just knock on the door and the pilot come, can come back out. This type of plane only had a small circular window that the pilot could look back at the cabin through. Ooh. If he wanted to get into the cabin, he would have to land the plane, get out and walk around. So what Baxter does is he has a piece of paper on him and he writes, captain's gone. And he slaps it up against the window yeah. and finally gets the pilot's attention who starts freaking out and they land the plane. And, and I can't even imagine, like, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean he's gone? Like, wh where? Gone. Yes. Can you imagine, as a pilot getting that message, someone yeah. is gone yeah. from the plane. At this point, when they land the plane, they're starting to come over France. So they land on the beach of France. But as they're landing on what they think is an empty beach, in the distance, the French army, who is actually running drills for World War II, which was ramping up, sees the plane land and they start running over to see what's going on. Yeah. And one of the soldiers was this guy, Lieutenant Marquois, and he immediately starts talking to the pilot, but the pilot is panicking and he's not telling the lieutenant why. So the lieutenant kind of notes this as being strange that he's not giving him any answers. And it actually takes him 30 minutes to come clean about why they landed and explain that, yes, a passenger did disappear while on the flight. And it's at this moment when Baxter, the valet, admits that aside from the empty restroom, there was another strange thing that he noticed in the back of the plane. So when you walk through the back door to the back of the plane, on your left would be the restroom, but on your right, would be the exit. Right. The door to the outside. Of the plane. Of the plane. Yeah. Into the air. And when Baxter went back to check on Alfred, the latch on that door, the exit, was undone. Okay. If the theory, which now became that Alfred had somehow gone out of that door. To get off the plane. To get off where the plane mid-flight. The, the question now becomes how yeah. and why did that happen? So as they're kind of rationalizing to themselves how this could have happened, one of the theories that comes up is that maybe he did try to go to the bathroom, but somehow went through the exit instead. Like took the wrong door. Took the wrong door. The wrong instead of way. going to the left, he went to the right. Yes. And went out the plane. Yeah. But Alfred had <laughs> ridden on this plane dozens of times. It's he, his plane. It's his plane. Yeah. He has a bunch of other models of the same plane. He knew that the bathroom was on the left. And I would think once you open that heavy door. Yeah. I mean, I've seen flight attendants open a plane door before. Yes. You would go, oh, that's air and not step out. Exactly. Well, it also looks totally different. Even, I mean, on airplanes today, they look totally different. But back then, the doors, doors also looked, looked different. different. Yeah. One was latched. One was more of a handle. Yes. One has a, yeah, there's, they're completely different. So it would be strange for him to get that confused. Yep. But some of his staff at his home in Brussels did mention that when he got stressed, he would barge through the wrong doors kind of in a tizzy. One of his secretaries actually claimed that undoubtedly Alfred must have gotten confused and gone through the wrong door falling out of the plane. I think also it's the 20s. Yeah. Like I think now we're like, no, that did not happen. But I feel like back then for his staff to be like, oh, no, undoubtedly he did this all the time. Yes. He must have done this it's, in the air. Absolutely. Like yes. if he did this in, at home, he would have done this on the plane. On the plane. But there's such a difference between like yes. my bathroom and my bedroom. Right. <laughs> and the exit of the plane and a bathroom. Completely. The pilot is kind of thinking this over and he is like, no, he didn't accidentally go through the exit. That's impossible. 
as the news of this starts spreading, like other people start realizing that that was probably impossible as well. And actually a memorial service for Alfred was postponed in Brussels because people were not convinced that he had accidentally fallen out of the plane and was dead. Yeah. What happened next was people started to actually test that theory. Could someone have opened the door mid-flight and fallen out of the plane? Right. This is where I want to make a note about flying in the 20s. We've kind of talked about this model of plane. Obviously, it looks very different from models of planes today, but flying in general was very different. Back then, planes only ascended to 4,000 feet, yeah. and because they were so low to the ground, they didn't pressurize the cabins. So the pressure inside the plane was the same as the pressure outside the plane. And as a result, yes, in theory, it would have been easier back then to open a plane door mid-flight than it would be today. Okay. Sometimes you might hear a horror story of a plane today being opened mid-flight. That doesn't happen when you're at cruising altitude at like 30,000 feet. It tends to happen when you're under 10,000 okay. feet. Someone could open the door, but you also have all of the wind outside to yeah. fight against. It's still not easy to open that door. And as they started doing experiments, that just was proven true. One of the guys that tried to open the door mid-flight was this guy, Major Cooper, who was an inspector of accidents for the air ministry. He went up with a team, and this is the most 1920s thing ever. He tied a rope around his shoulders. Okay. And he, when he gets up there, starts throwing himself against the door. <laughs> trying to open it mid-flight and he could only get it with his whole body weight open about six inches okay but he's not done with the experiment then he keeps trying to force himself out of the plane to see if even with the door open six inches if you could get out and eventually he gets pinned between the door and the plane and can't move and his pressure. body anymore yes. and the wind is just whipping and trying to force the door back closed right so then another two mechanics also tried to go up and they couldn't get it open mid-flight even with the two of them. But at the same time, the police are starting to get phone calls and letters from people, mostly men, who were saying that they had opened these doors mid-flight. Alfred's secretary actually came forward and said one time he accidentally opened the door mid-flight when they were flying to Paris. But every experiment they did said that it wasn't true. It was just these anecdotal Right. Like so it's letters. kind of like, what's the truth here? Exactly. Exactly. Are people trying to say they're really strong? Yeah. <laughs> Did some people act actually try to open the door mid-flight? Like, what's the truth? Or are they trying to make it still seem like an accident? Exactly. Exactly. Like his staff. Are some people really dead set on, no, this was an accident? Yes. There's lots of theories that are, at this point in the story floating around uh, he's the one of the most high profile men on yeah, the planet it would be a big deal if jeff bezos disappeared on his private plane while yeah. flying to the bahamas or if he was in a blue origin rocket going up and he disappeared like yes. everyone's going to be talking about this also there's always conspiracy theories with billionaires you know yep. people are really talking about this but then on july 19th which was just over two weeks since alfred disappeared a body was found okay do you ever find that when you're traveling, you can't help but worry about what's going on back home? Like, again, did you remember to lock up everything or close all the windows? It's so easy for those little concerns to nag at you while you're trying to enjoy your trip. And that's why we highly recommend looking into Simply Safe Home Security today. It's all about giving you the top-notch security and total peace of mind, no matter where your summer adventures take you. It's like having that extra layer of protection so you can truly relax and enjoy your time away. You guys, I know that when we travel, it is so nice to just have that peace of mind. You know, it's not only for when you're home and you don't want someone breaking in, but like also when you're away from home and you just want to know that your house is safe. And that is what Simply Safe gives you. There's a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras we've installed. So we have a view of all our entry points. Plus, Simply Safe was named Best Home Security System 2024 by the U.S. News and the World Report. Simply Safe has given us and many of our listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/husband. There's no safe like Simply Safe. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds, but now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch, and it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years, so it is absolutely amazing, easy to use, so intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you, so whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit 
a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash husband. That afternoon, a fishing boat picked up a body in the channel that looked really badly beaten. The fisherman who found him actually thought it was a soldier who had fallen overboard, one of the French soldiers like near Normandy. Yep. The body was only in undergarments, socks, and had one shoe on. Both of the feet were broken, and there were injuries on the left side of the chest. There was no sign of drowning. The injuries were consistent with a great fall. They were external, not signs of drowning however the face was too disfigured to identify based on the face so this body was identified as alfred solely by the watch that was on his left wrist because it had an inscription that read captain lowenstein and then his address it feels like a pretty good id but you're not getting that hundred percent sure it was him and one thing i will say about this case as well is it was international waters he was brussels he was taking a flight from london there was a lot of confusion as to who should have been looking into this so it was a fisherman that found him it wasn't a search and rescue team right so as he's being identified by his wristwatch i also can't help but think that maybe there just wasn't any like precedent over who was supposed to be looking into it though his body was recovered I want to talk about some of the theories as to what happened because a lot of people still believe that this is a disappearance, that having his body doesn't really change. Because was that really him? Or having a body. Exactly. Yes. Right. There's a lot of theories about that. So one of the first big theories that people have is it has threads of D.B. Cooper. So a lot of people are like, did he orchestrate this? For one, the body obviously was only identified by his watch. And if he truly wanted to get away for some reason, he could have slapped his watch on some poor guy and thrown him out of the plane or dumped him in the channel some other way. And that theory also says that if it wasn't Alfred getting out of the plane there, there is a chance that when they landed in France, it was actually so he could escape. Yes, but then that would mean that the entire staff plus the pilots were in on this. Yes, it would mean that there was an orchestrated entire staff that's on the plane. That's on the plane. That all of the people that were on that plane were in on this and that he potentially there was a car that met them down there and drove off. The French army was there. There was someone who was patrolling in the French army who said they didn't see anyone get off the plane and leave, but uh, it could have happened so fast and they could have been far away. Who knows? But why would he want to orchestrate his disappearance? Yeah, then you have to have a reason. You have to have a reason. You're the third richest man. Yes. You can do whatever you want in life. Why would you abandon that life? So his friends insisted that his life stresses were trivial and that he wasn't necessarily in any financial trouble, but he did recently not get approved for a 25 million US dollar loan. And that seemed to be a really big blow to him. So some people were reporting that this loan was going to be used for other business development ventures that he had. Mm -hmm. He took it out in America. It was potentially for like American business ventures he wanted to pursue. But the New York Times also reported that there were rumors he was in more financial trouble than he was letting on. And this loan was actually supposed to help him straighten some of that out. Then he couldn't get it. It was just... Which is so funny because, I mean, not funny, but I can't imagine being so upset about not getting 25 million 25 million dollars but again this is someone who was a billionaire even in the 20s well it makes me think of inventing anna did you watch that netflix series when she doesn't get approved for her loan and granted she was like a fraud of course but it i mean it destroys her it destroys people around her i just think this is something that we as 
common folk can't relate to. Of course. Especially if you're related, using that to dig you out of a hole. Yes. And that lifeline is now gone. Yep. I imagine. But I making- have seen other murders or disappearances where I'm in financial trouble and I need to fake my death of or get out of here to fix it. Of course. Yeah. That seems like a good idea when you're in a really dire situation like that. So... There was also a little bit of a slump in the Brussels stock market around the time that his disappearance occurred. And at the time, he was such a prolific businessman. He kind of was the Brussels stock market. So any dip really negatively affected all of his businesses. So there was a theory that maybe he orchestrated his disappearance because things were slumping and he wanted to disappear. Either it was to protect his companies or to get out of the trouble. But if that was the case, then it actually had the exact opposite effect because his disappearance caused the stock market in Brussels to dip even further. Of course. As a result, obviously, that would happen too if like the CEO of, if there's any shakeup at a major company, you know, the stock's always affected. So another prevailing theory, which this is the one that I keep turning to. So there's a theory that he had a medical emergency while on the plane. Right. Reportedly, Alfred had issues with his blood pressure and would sometimes have these fits that were kind of similar to heart attacks, at least to bystanders, they seemed like they were heart attacks. And the theory is that he started having one of these fits and in an attempt to get some air, he actually tried to open the exit door. Yep. And that would also explain why his necktie was off when they found, when they went looking for him, his necktie was on the floor. So... You still have the issue with that theory of the plane door just being so hard to open. Yeah, could even get it open. Couldn't even get it open. But if the plane hit turbulence at the exact right moment, some mechanics mentioned the door would have possibly been able to swing open for a moment and then just slam back shut from the wind. My question is, I'm thinking of a 20s plane. How would no one have heard that door open and close? Well, that's a great question. And actually flying back then was a lot louder than it was today because you would hear, you hear the engine, you hear like the whole plane was made of wood and metal too. So like it, it makes noise. The engines were louder. Like there are reports of how loud it was to fly. You couldn't necessarily have a conversation on a plane in the twenties. So if someone was in the back of the plane, a door is closed. It is reasonable to think that they didn't hear the door open and close. Okay. okay. It's not, yeah, when I hear that, I guess I'm not like, oh, that's impossible. They definitely would have heard right. that. It kind of makes sense that they wouldn't have. However, again, it's a loud door. It's like if it's slamming shut from hundreds of miles an hour of wind, like it's going to close right. really loudly. This would have had to be perfectly timed with Alfred getting air also. Yeah. So it is kind of like a one in a million chance. Obviously, those still happen. He has to be having the attack. He has to push open the door. He has to take his necktie off. And then he has to hit turbulence. Exactly. All in the, like in one foul swoop yeah. so that it all can happen right yeah. at the exact moment. So the problem with that theory is Alfred's doctor came forward and said that Alfred was actually in perfect health, which we can kind of take with a grain of salt. But he said that these fits were not really as bad as people were making them out to be. Okay. Also, Baxter told the police that Alfred was smiling when he got up and walked to the back. It didn't look, at least to the people on the plane, like he was having a medical emergency when he went back there. Okay. Which is interesting. He didn't necessarily get up with urgency. And yeah, they were saying it didn't It didn't look like an emergency to him. Right. There's also some conflicting reports on the level of urgency Alfred was having when he got up to walk to the back. But by conflicting reports, I mean... Baxter said he was smiling. One person said he got up and was walking fast. It's not really enough to be like, oh, that was a medical emergency that was in the midst of happening. He didn't turn to anyone and say, I think I'm having a heart attack, essentially. So on top of all of this, no one really mentioned in any of their interviews any strong jolts that the plane encountered while Alfred was in the back. Every interview I read, no one talked about the turbulence it maybe it was a thing where it was just more common back then planes shook more but at 4000 feet you're not hitting the same amount of turbulence as you hit at 30000 exactly. so there's also the the last theory is that someone planned it yep that it wasn't alfred it wasn't an accident it was intentionally planned by someone and one of the suspects that people think of is alfred's wife actually so when the plane landed in brussels without alfred his wife wanted it to be sent straight back to London. The only thing she said was, let it be sold. I don't ever want to see it again. Interesting. 
I mean, people in grief, you can't ever right, really judge right. what they say in grief. But she also never went to his memorial service. Okay. And that's one where, I mean, you're a wife. You can put yourself in that perspective yes. of, like, not showing up to your husband's memorial service is, that's really intense. It's quite weird. It's Yeah, it is. People are going to look at that. Right. Even if there was a legitimate reason, people are going to look at that. And think it's weird. And think it's weird. And then there was how a few insurance policies had also recently been taken out on Alfred. The New York Times never figured out who took out these insurance policies, but they were for amounts that totaled around half a million pounds. Policies that specifically covered if Alfred took his own life or was in a horrible accident. Okay. And it could have been his wife who took out these policies, but it also could have been someone who Alfred did business with who was taking insurance on the businesses. Yep. And basically, I'll end it with this, but that day, all of the staff said they believed it was an accident. They could have been paid off to say that, but no one ever changed their story. Everyone stuck to their story till the day they died. Could six people stay silent on the matter for the rest of their lives with well, none of them ever giving up any information as to what happened? Yeah. And could someone that famous stay hidden if yeah. he did fake his own disappearance? Absolutely. It definitely would have been easier back then than For it would sure. have been now. But he he was in so many newspapers. His image was definitely out there. People mm -hmm. knew what he looked like. Everyone knew he was missing. Yeah. Can you just go retire to a resort somewhere? Yeah. I mean, I no guess there are people who believe that there are famous people who have done that now. Yeah. It's interesting, actually, because when I was reading... Most of this information comes from old New York Times articles. Yeah. And they were talking about when this disappearance happened, it had been 16 years since the Titanic sank. Okay. And a lot of people in that time started coming up with Titanic conspiracy theories yep. as well. Mm -hmm. And it is this thing, like the further away we get from something that happened, the more our brains just are like, what really happened? So when they were writing these articles, people thought that the captain of the Titanic had lied about... Or it was, it was a big lie that he was on the Titanic when it sank and that he actually had escaped somewhere to get and away from alive. the bad press and yeah. was alive. So, yeah, is that what people are doing to Alfred now, yeah. too? Yeah, I, it's just so curious. It's so, so bizarre. Because even if it was an accident, which I may be inclined to think it was, it it's just such a one in a million billion chance. accident. Ch yeah, exactly, yeah. chance. To think that, oh, I'm going to fake my death, all right? And then I'm going to put my watch on this poor guy. Mm -hmm. And now you have to make it look like he dropped out of the plane. So then there had to have been another person aboard yes. who you pushed out of the plane or you had to make it look like he dropped out of the plane. And then what are the chances that a fisherman yeah. finds him so there's not really anyone there to like positively ID him? Yeah. And th there's just so many ways for this to not just be... It was an accident. He fell out. That yeah. was actually him. Yeah. Yeah. It would it would take so much orchestrating for yes. it to be for that to be the case. Yes. And I also don't think six people can stay quiet for their whole lives. I don't either. That's I just don't think they can. Unless they were But like, where'd he go? But where did he go? Or is that really him? Or yeah, yeah. Did he go live a long life somewhere else or did he fall out of the sky? Yeah, it's it's wild. And we'll never have answers. I don't even know how you would figure that out now. I don't I don't either. I guess you could DNA test the body and be like, sure, but you still don't know how it happened no. if no one was there no. to see it. Yeah. Or wild. hear it. Or hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that is crazy. That's one I have not been able to stop thinking about. I'm sure you also will not now be able to stop I won't thinking thank about you. it. <laughs> now I know it's gonna keep me up tonight. I know. Just where is he? What happened? Poor Alfred. I know. Poor guy. At the end of the day, even if he felt like he had, I don't know. I don't want to be the person that's on a podcast. I also like, don't want to be the, the person that's like, poor billionaires. I, <laughs> I just feel really sad because yeah. he, he had so much more money to spend. Yeah. So I'm just really sad Yeah, I'm really sad about yeah. that. No, I mean, poor him if he actually died and fell yeah, out of, of the course. plane. Yeah, of course. I know. But. That's my biggest fear. At least his wife had 19 other planes to, to Absolutely. fly. So she could just be like, take that plane away. I don't want to see it again. I have 19 others. But if someone fell out of a plane, how do you ever fly again? Right. I, if, if I knew someone personally who fell out of a plane, flying is by far my biggest fear. Yeah. I I would just never be able to use a plane. I don't know again. if I'd fly in the 20s. I'll just no. be honest. I don't know if I even would have got on a plane. I know. It was so close to 
planes actually being invented. Yes. Like they, there was just not that much time to improve yes. them. So they were like, like when you say it's wooden. Yeah. Wooden. Wood. Count me out. They would just, I would, I just imagine the wings snapping in half and yes. I'd be like, yeah, it's the twenties. That's yeah. what happens. That's what happens. When we fly crazy i think about that with planes now i'm always Me worried too. about the plane the i don't understand snap. now the dynamic of planes and i know someone can explain it to me right i still don't think it'll get through my head i don't understand how the wings don't snap off yeah. i don't understand how when the wheels first hit the ground when you're landing it doesn't just roll <laughs> like a car on the freeway yeah. i don't get it and that's why people much smarter than us make these planes make these but planes. Yeah, I agree. I, I do panic the whole time that we're just going to fall out of the sky. And people yeah. have explained to me that's that is physically impossible. But yeah. I'm like, but it's this is the one time. But it's it doesn't happen. make sense. But it doesn't make sense. Planes in me. and of themselves are the biggest conspiracy. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> How do they work? No, I totally agree. <laughs> we're jumping into an ad right now. And I, no joke, I've had this question. I think about it all the time because I hate getting sick. Do you ever wonder why some people just don't get sick? One of the reasons you can help yourself from getting sick is Armra Colostrum. Okay, obviously I had no idea that colostrum is the first nutrition we receive in life and is an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients we need in order to thrive. So what's amazing is Armra colostrum is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and the first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and actually make Make you sick. I'm not saying that it 100% works for everybody because obviously you never know, but all I'm saying is I haven't been sick since I started taking it. Well, and the science behind it is so cool. Armor colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall where 80% of your immune cells are housed. And it's a rich exclusive source of antibodies that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season. Plus in clinical trials, bovine colostrum was found to be at least three times more effective than the flu vaccine at preventing the flu. We've worked out a special offer for our audience receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash husband or enter husband to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash husband. Once you try Bombas, you'll never look at socks the same way again. They've obsessed over details like foot hugging, honeycomb arch support, anti-blister tabs, and cushion footbeds that feel like pillows for your feet. Let's not forget their super soft tees and tagless underwear. Bombas has a one purchased equals one donated mission. Every time you buy their socks, tees, or underwear, you also donate essential clothing to someone facing homelessness. Today, Bombas has donated over 100 million clothing items and counting. Bombas also offers a 100% happiness guarantee. So whether your socks disappear in the dryer or they become a snack for your dog, they will actually do anything possible to replace it or make it right. They've also got this new Merino wool blend socks that naturally wick moisture and help regulate temperatures perfect for that rainy or unpredictable spring weather. You guys, I love Bombas. I literally wear them all the time. I love that every purchase means a donation to someone in need. And it's not just their socks either. I also love their tees and underwear they're so soft they pay attention to details i just really really love bombas get comfy this spring and give back with bombas head over to bombas.com husband and use code husband for 20 percent off your first purchase that's b-o-m-b-a-s.com husband and use code husband at checkout okay well i guess we'll jump right into my case now yeah. that is a typical murder with my husband case we cover true crime typically it Usually it is with my husband today. It's with my work wife. Um, but my husband hates true crime. I have been obsessed with it since I can remember. I love it. And so you get kind of two different perspectives. One, I love it. One, I hate it. Yeah. It's a little bit for like, it's me and my fiance can watch it or yeah. listen to it too, because he falls into that category and I fall into your category. Right. I think so. most couples usually I agree. do. Yeah. Okay, so we are starting, it's the late afternoon on October 31st, 2002, so Halloween afternoon. The 21-year-old Chris Jenkins just finished his day of classes at the University of Minnesota's business school. As a senior, tonight will be the last time he gets to celebrate his favorite holiday on campus. And I remember Halloween during college, like it is just a fun 
party time. Yeah. So I'm sure he's excited Everyone as a senior. Everyone goes all out. Yeah. So Chris heads back to the house he rents just off of campus and eagerly takes this year's costume out of the bag. He puts on the faux hide skin jumpsuit, secures a beaded headband with a single red feather and dressed as an indigenous American chief, heads over to his girlfriend Ashley's place. She opens up to show Chris. She went with a sexy cop, as promised. The plan for tonight, they are going to hit a few of the downtown Minneapolis bars, including the spot Ashley works, which is the Lone Tree Bar and Grill. As they round up a few friends, Ashley asks Chris, is he sure he doesn't want to bring a coat? It's a freezing cold night in Minnesota, about 20 degrees tops. Chris tells her, no way, it's gonna ruin his costume, but maybe Ashley can carry his phone, his keys and wallet for him because his hide skin suit doesn't have mm, any pockets. Yeah. And I've done this at concerts and stuff where I tell Garrett, I'm like, oh, yeah. hold my phone, hold my lip gloss. I don't, totally. I don't. I'm not going to ruin my outfit. I know it's rare. Actually, I was going to, I was thinking that the man doesn't have the I pockets know. in this situation. It's a taste of his it. own medicine. Yeah. So now I realize that today Chris's costume would seem a bit off color to yeah. some, but in 2002, no one thought any less of Chris for it. That night, Chris was as popular as ever chatting up everyone in the bar. He was always the kid who had and did it all. Captain of the school's lacrosse team, class clown, and a genuinely good friend to everyone around him. But as the evening went on, Chris seemed to be having a little too much fun. Shortly after midnight, he was approached by one of the bar managers about his behavior. With a giant stain on his costume, they insisted he was so drunk he must have urinated on himself. Oh. It was time for Chris to go, to get out of the bar. Chris and his friends, though, insisted, no, 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 that's not pee. I, he only spilled on himself. It's just a drink. Mm -hmm. It was an accident, and he'd switched over to water at this point. But now an employee was already escorting Chris out the front door with Ashley off mingling in the packed pub. Chris was forced outside in the freezing cold alone without his phone, his wallet and his keys. And the bouncer refused to let him back in to go get them. They were like, nope, you are done. You're kicked out. Yeah. And there's no way for him to even tell her that he's out there. No. Yeah. So Chris starts walking north toward the Hennepin Bridge, the direction of campus. He's like, hey, I guess I'll just go back. Start making my way home. The following day, Chris's parents called his cell to check in. But his roommate, Ben, was the one who answered. Ben explained that Chris was kicked out of the pub last night and seemingly never made it back to the house. After calling around to Chris's friends, the Jenkins phoned the police around 10 p.m. that night. So they give it a whole day trying okay. to find their son. They can't find him. No one's seen him since the night before, so they call police. Yeah. But they were met with the same frustrating response we see in many of these true crime cases. Since Chris was 18, the police wouldn't consider him missing until 72 hours had passed. So much can happen in 72 hours. So much. And I feel Ugh. like this is something that we've kind of seen get a little bit better today based on the circumstances. I was going to say, I don't think it's 72 hours anymore. Yes. But, but we've seen this often with a lot of the cases. Yeah. So Jan and Stephen Jenkins, which are his parents, weren't going to sit idly by for three more days. By November 2nd, they were making the drive from Eden Prairie, Minnesota to Minneapolis, looking to hire a private detective to look into their son's case. And they found a man named Chuck Loesch, which was a smart decision because even when those 72 hours came and went, the Minneapolis police were of little help to the family anyways. They insisted there wasn't much they could do until the body of Christopher Jenkins reappeared. There's nothing. They're like, no, not we, a single thing. Yeah. To go Can't look go at. Talk to the bar, see who maybe last saw him, yeah. check video footage. They say, nope, not until we know that something sinister has happened. That's horrible. We really aren't going to pay attention. So it's a good thing they hired the private yeah, investigator, absolutely. Chuck. So thankfully, Chuck was willing to do everything the police weren't. He began by retracing Chris's steps after he left the bar the night he went missing. If he were to head back to his dorm on foot, he would have had to cross over the Hennepin Avenue Bridge. So this big bridge. 
And there were two cameras outside the Federal Reserve Building that had a great view of that path. But after reviewing the tapes, there's no sign of Chris crossing the bridge the night he disappeared. So he didn't even really make it very far if that's the direction he went. Yeah, wow. So Chuck then interviewed several employees who worked at the Lone Tree Bar on Halloween night, something the police never do in the entirety of this case. And Chuck finds that several of the employees are now saying, no, Chris wasn't kicked out of the bar that night. He left on his own accord without his phone, wallet, and keys. Only his friends are like, no, that's not the truth. We were there. They said because he had this stain and he was acting a little wild, they kicked him out and we couldn't get him his stuff before it happened. Yeah, there's so many witnesses to that. Yeah. In fact, many of them were confused by the situation saying that Chris wasn't doing anything inappropriate that could have gotten him ejected that night. They're like, no, we we specifically remember because we don't even think he was acting that wild. Yeah. Yet he was escorted out by security through the front door and wasn't allowed back in. When Chuck goes back to the bar a few days later to chat with employees again, he finds they've all had to agree to a gag order. Otherwise, if anyone spoke about Chris Jenkins, they'd risk losing their job. So now there's a gag order. So now it's an open investigation all of a sudden. For the private investigator. It's Chuck going back. Well, he's going back, but it's a gag order because now the police are involved. Yes. Now all of a sudden the police decided to get involved. Well, I think it's a gag order from their boss. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. um, But yes, I technically a gag order would come from police. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting that it comes at this point. So... Chris's girlfriend, Ashley, was actually seen flirting that night with a real off-duty police officer in the bar. So apparently this friend of hers even let him borrow one of his work shirts for her cop costume. Oh. So this is like an interesting detail that comes out as soon as this gag order is kind of given out and the public learns about it. Now, the Lone Tree Bar was a known police officer hangout, and rumor has it the cop Ashley was flirting with actually asked security to have Chris, her boyfriend, removed just so he could remove Chris from the equation. So there's kind of this love triangle little bit going on. That adds another element to it. And this was a married cop with kids by the way, Mm. which might explain the now gag order from the police. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, there was a gag order that was given at that exact moment where this information could have come out. Like, yes. Yeah. And also through the owner of the bar because he was threatening if anyone talked, they would be fired. Exactly. And the reason the cops never questioned anyone working at the bar was because one of their own was at the bar that night during the disappearance and had a weird tie to the case. Although it doesn't quite explain where Chris disappeared to after he left that evening, it's just another interesting clue. Of course. But over the next few weeks, Chuck learns that there was a giant fight up the street outside a pizza shop in the hours after Chris vanished. Problem is, no one could confirm whether or not Chris was actually involved in that fight. However, one of the biggest clues came after the family hired two different search dogs. Both followed Chris's scent from the bar to that pizza shop and then down to a parking garage next door. Both dogs led them to spots 89 and 90 in the parking garage where they found a few drops of blood and a piece of a red feather like the one in Chris's headband. Wow. When Chuck spoke to a parking lot attendant, he learned that one of those spots belonged to one of the bouncers at the Lone Tree Bar. So now it's all tying back to him getting kicked out of the bar. Yeah. And I know some people try to discredit search dogs, but to me, they... I, they never miss. They I just never they're miss. So good. I know, and especially in court, they get discredited a lot, right? Because they're all volunteers that do it. And yeah. I get it, but also these dogs are trained for this. And what are the chances that both dogs separately both of them. lead them back to the spot with blood, a feather, and a spot that leads back to a bouncer? Yeah, that's incredible. Still. The Minneapolis police refuse to listen to the Jenkins family or the evidence that Chuck has uncovered. They're like, nah, there's still no body. Like, we can't get into it. After a few months has passed, they still hadn't interviewed a single employee of the Lone Tree Bar, and he's still missing. They never even bothered to examine the house he shared with his friends. 
It wasn't until February 27, 2003, that the police finally started to pay attention to Chris's case, because that morning, Chris's body was discovered floating in the Mississippi River less than a mile away from the Lone Tree Bar. And this is like five months later at that point? Five months later. Wow. Less than a mile away. Wow. He was wearing his chief costume, his shoes were still on his feet, and his arms were crossed over his chest. The police were quick to assume he'd either died of suicide or had drunkenly fallen into the river on Halloween night. But there were plenty of clues that suggested otherwise, starting with the way his arms were positioned. If Chris had jumped to his death into the river, it was a strange position for his body to be found in. Usually in a situation like that, someone's arms would be down by their sides or floating out near them. Plus, there was no bruising on Chris's body. If he had fallen from the bridge, you'd think there would be injuries to indicate that fall. The autopsy also determined that Chris's blood alcohol content was quite low, especially if he was as intoxicated as the Lone Tree employees claimed he was enough to get kicked out. Interestingly, your BAC level should increase with decomposition, which indicated to private investigators that Chris might have been kept alive for a period long enough to sober up a little before he was killed. So maybe he didn't die as soon as he left the bar. Right. Maybe he was taken somewhere. Yes. Yeah, wow. Perhaps most disturbing of all, Chris was found with a clump of somebody else's hair clutched in his left hand. It didn't appear to be his, but it was never tested, but it didn't even match his color of hair. Okay. That's pretty easy to tell. I feel like if it's the wrong color. In the end, Chris's death certificate read, quote, cause of death unknown, apparent drowning, manner of death undetermined. The police remained adamant, though, that Chris had died of suicide or by accident and that there was no foul play involved and closed the case. But the Jenkins weren't going to give up that easily. They knew someone was behind the death of their son, and come April 2006, it was clear they weren't alone. That month, the Jenkins received a phone call from two retired NYPD homicide detectives named Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte. They had reason to believe that Chris's death might be connected to a string of others, and he may have been the target of a faceless group of serial killers. The Jenkins were aware that Chris wasn't the only college student to go missing in the fall of 2002. Within 10 days of his disappearance, a few others had disappeared within a 180-mile radius of one another. On November 6th, Michael Knoll, a 22-year-old University of Wisconsin student, disappeared after leaving a bar after midnight. On November 9th, Joshua Gemond, a 20-year-old St. John's University student in Collegeville, Minnesota, left a card game at a friend's apartment and disappeared around 1 a.m., All of the men were excellent students and athletes. Many came from middle to upper class families. They were handsome and responsible young adults. And all of them disappeared near a large body of water. Michael and Chris were found floating in a similar fashion. However, Josh's body was never recovered. But this wasn't anything new for Detective Gannon and Duarte. They'd been following cases like this Since 1997, they had been following these disappearances of young male adults. Yeah, wow. When a young man named Patrick McNeil first disappeared in New York City, that was when it all started. And after spending the night partying at a Manhattan bar, Patrick told his friends he was taking the subway home, only he never made it there. He was discovered a month later floating in the East River. After Patrick's death, Gannon and Duarte noticed a pattern. There were nearly 40 other young men who'd all disappeared after a drunken night out. Many of them were found dead in a body of water soon after. Sounds familiar, just like Chris's. The cases spanned across 25 cities in 11 different states. And this is where this case takes an eerie, infamous turn. In 22 of those 40 cases, they found a bizarre symbol nearby, one that was graffitied near where the bodies had been dumped. It was a picture of a smiley face. Sometimes that smiley face was drawn in red with devil horns. Other times it appeared with a note that read evil, happy, smiley face man. 
That was a mouthful, by the way. On more than one occasion, it was accompanied with the word sinsiniwa, which is an indigenous American word meaning rattlesnake. So this is when Gannon and Duarte realized they might be dealing with a group of people, maybe a gang, a group of serial killers, if you will, that are going around abducting these men when they're drunk and vulnerable, killing them and then spray painting a smiley face nearby. Yeah, it's just, it's wild that they were the first ones to connect the smiley faces if they're at over half of the yes. sites. 22 of 40 have a smiley face spray painted near the body of water yeah. where these boys are That's found. That's not like a common graffiti. I don't really see that out in the wild that no. much. So I think I w- you would notice if there was... And I think symbols. it's like the body of water tie too. Like it's not yeah, just, right. I mean, this is where the infamous smiley face killer comes into play, Yeah. but also there's all the, I mean, the MO is the same. Yeah. The body of water is the same. The smiley face is the same. So perhaps it was a group that targeted young, soon to be successful men, followed them around, maybe even drugged them, picked them up and tortured them before later dumping their bodies in a river, a place that would wash away most of the evidence. Gannon and Duarte named their hypothetical assailants the smiley face killers and later shared their research with the FBI, hoping for a serious inquiry. But in 2008, the FBI publicly rejected the theory, said there is no such thing as the smiley face killers. Yeah, wow. They released a statement claiming despite the consistencies between the cases, they hadn't found any concrete evidence to support the links between the deaths. They remained steadfast in their opinion that these were all alcohol-related drownings and had not shown signs of foul play. Instead, they claimed the graffiti was just a coincidence, Mm. a common image that might be gang associated, but showed no direct connection to the victims themselves. They also pointed to the lack of bruising on the victims' bodies, which if they had been kept alive and tortured for a period of time before their deaths, there was no evidence of that shown in any of the autopsies, which is a good point. But these mysterious cases haven't disappeared over the years. As of 2017, they are still happening and when you hear the new evidence it might seem more apparent that Gannon and Duarte were on to something. So on January 5th 2017 23 year old Dakota James disappeared after a night out in Pittsburgh. 40 days later his body was pulled out of the Ohio River 10 miles from where he was last seen. Again sounding very familiar. Like the others, Dakota was popular, well-educated, athletic, and investigators found more than 11 different smiley face symbols close to where his body entered the river. 11. 11. The kicker is, just a few weeks before he vanished, Dakota called a friend in the middle of the night to say he'd woken up somewhere on the streets of Pittsburgh. He didn't know where he was or how he ended up there. The last thing he remembered was going out with some coworkers to a bar after a Christmas party and he believed he'd been drugged. So was he being stalked by a smiley face killer in the weeks prior to his disappearance? Until the smiley face killer theory is taken seriously, I'm not sure we'll have any answers. But of all the people Gannon and Duarte consider possible victims of the smiley face killers, Chris Jenkins was the only one whose case was reclassified from accidental drowning to homicide back in 2006, and yet no one has ever been charged with Chris's murder. Meanwhile, Gannon and Duarte have since upped their database to 681 potential victims. To this day, they're still trying to prove whether the smiley face killers exist at all. And that is kind of the conspiracy theory around the smiley face killers. You hear about it often, it's all over Reddit threads, And it's literally just young men who disappear after a night out drinking are found near large bodies of water. And there's always a smiley face. Wow. I have so many thoughts because that's it's so tragic. It reminds me there's this one case around the turn of the century. The man from the train. Have you heard about this? I haven't. Back in like the early 1900s, there was all of these like the string of deaths that were maybe connected they couldn't figure it out but then they figured out that they were all along the same train line yeah and so they figured it was someone who was getting off the train maybe committing these crimes getting back on the train going going to a new city but it really takes someone paying attention to put that together and you hear in a lot of true crime cases where 
counties aren't talking to each other. So deaths that could be connected are not being connected Mm -hmm. by the police. And it seems like these two guys really are taking the time to put this together and they have this theory. And so it's just sad that no one is really taking it that seriously. And I think, okay, so I know the FBI has come out and said there's no such thing as a smiley face killer, even though these men, young men, keep popping up with smiley faces around. But what's the harm in in looking into it? Looking into it, like yeah. what's the harm in actually taking it seriously? Maybe they did, yeah. maybe they did back in two thousand and eight. But if it's still happening up till two thousand and seventeen, what's the harm in trying to connect cases? Because, like you just said, how many times have we seen? Oh, this guy was caught for this murder. Turns out he killed in two different states yeah. back. Ten years before. Yeah, and you're seeing this too with Austin. I know a lot of people are looking at Austin, Texas as a place where a lot of young men are drowning. Okay, even if it's not a serial killer, why are so many men falling in this lake? Like, let's look into that. Even if it's just a safety (laughs) concern. Should we put some guardrails up? Yeah, why why is it being dismissed so easily? I also think you see this a lot with college students. And maybe it's because kids go to college and they don't have their family nearby. They don't have friends. But oftentimes their disappearances are totally dismissed. Yeah. As like they ran away or they didn't like school. So they just left. And everyone is can read the writing on the wall that something's wrong. Yeah. But the case is totally dismissed. 100%. And that sounds like Chris's. I think because similar to sex workers or unhoused people, you're in a vulnerable state in college. You don't have this family around you. A lot of us didn't have this big support system in college. We were just alone Mm -hmm. living and that's vulnerable. Like that's vulnerable, which is maybe why it's just being brushed under the rug because it's like easy. It's easy to just be like, you know, maybe they ran off. If someone's targeting a group, that could be another group that they're targeting because they know it's easy to- do something and not have it looked into. It is unfortunately very easy to drug someone at a bar and that stuff doesn't, isn't traceable. So if you are doing an autopsy report, you're not going to see that. So yeah, it's like a, it's a crime that's very hard to pin on someone. So if that is what's happening. And I think sometimes with conspiracy theories, I'm like, okay, let's not get out of hand here. Like even a theory, okay, smiley face killer, whatever, like that probably didn't happen. But then what happened to Chris? I know, you yeah, know, that's like the one that he got, was at yeah. a bar, he mysteriously got kicked out. His girlfriend might be having a fun time with a local cop who's married. Yeah, He gets kicked out without reason. Really, his friends are making it sound like two dogs catch his scent going down to a parking garage. There's blood. There's a feather. Also, it looks s- like he got caught. I mean, it looks like he got picked up. Yeah. Left this the location. You said that it was an employee that parked there. Yeah. That employee probably parks there every day that they go to work why just check whose car it was like and where they go and what like and I think if there's no footage of him getting on the bridge then he didn't jump or fall by accident right of course yeah that's another and that this is what I mean and I know that it's now been turned to a homicide case so we don't have to blame anyone but it's like it obviously didn't have anything to do with him falling into the water. Yeah. There were no signs of a fall in his autopsy, but for that long, it was dismissed as an accident. Yeah. You know? It's so sad to me that his family had to probably shell out so much money Yeah, to hire all the resources to f- try and figure out what happened. And Garrett and I say this often with these cases, there is always more victims than just the victim. Of course, yeah. Whatever happened to Chris, his family's hurting. His family's sitting there going, why is no one taking our baby kid's case seriously? Why am yeah. I having to do the work? Why am I having to hire the the private investigator? Why did it take that long to yeah. find him when his body was a mile away? Like how frustrating to feel like no one cares. Yeah. You know? You shouldn't have to feel like you have to go search the river right. for your child. For your own child. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. That's so horrible. whatever's happening to these young men, whether it's in Austin or Smiley Face Killer or just all the ones we talked about today, I think it's clear to say something is happening. Yeah. I don't know. Like you said, is it just an epidemic we're seeing with drunk young adults? getting a little too drunk and falling into the water or is there something more sinister at play yeah like either way it feels like something can be done just look out for your friends it's so 
check in on your friends. Don't let them get kicked out Don't alone. Don't take drinks from strangers yes. that are open. Yes. It's never your fault. We're not victim oh, blaming. Never, never, never. We're just saying let's watch out for each other because yeah. it's a dangerous world. And it seems, especially from what people are saying in Austin, it seems like that's a big problem in Austin. Yeah. Anyways, yes. it's just people getting drugged. So it never hurts to just watch out for your friends. Just to be careful. Wild. Well, that was a case that has been very highly requested by my listeners, so I'm sure they're going to be very interested in If you more ever do a deeper dive, yeah. let me know so I can let um Murder with my husband listeners know. Absolutely. Or you can just go listen and then if she does a deeper dive, you can get it <laughs> because I know you like to dive really deep into really these and deep. this had to be a little brief. We kind of just did a little sample of each. Yeah. So if you even liked it, at all mm-hmm. go check it out go check it out absolutely there's yeah. i think there's a lot of overlap with oh, our shows for sure and like the research based and yep. yeah the, yeah the types of stories we tell so yeah yeah i'm really excited that we we're Thanks able to coming. do this oh my god this yeah. was so fun was so, we've been planning this for so long for so and long wanting to do it so happy that i got to see the new space yeah everything looks awesome it was so fun yeah so fun Okay, everyone, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. And I guess both of us will see you on our own shows next next time. Yeah, absolutely. Bye. Bye. Bye.